0: Welcome to Here Comes Yesterday, a weekly 15-minute podcast full of useful memories for dealing with the world ahead with your host, Frank Corrado. As we know, there are certain markers that tell us that winter is fading away. Snow turns to rain. Easter and Passover are on the calendar. Crocuses are starting to come up. And neighbors start disappearing. It's a good chance they're on their way to warmer climes like Florida. Over the years, I've tried to time my annual vacation to Florida to just before I go nuts from enduring long Midwestern winters. That's usually around mid to late March, when the warm days are still outnumbered by the cold ones, and a mirage of crocuses, daffodils, and forsythia tempt us but disappoint us as well. My connection to Florida originally came via my parents, who had been going there since the 1960s and had built a small home in Winter Haven, a little town just down the road from the new Disney World. Their house was on a small lake and there wasn't much of a beach, so wanderlust soon took over. It wasn't that far from their place to the Gulf of Mexico. And over time, we migrated to an area on the Gulf just north of Sarasota. Initially for a couple of days at first, and finally for a week or more of vacation time annually. That was over 40 years ago, and we've been going back there ever since to a little island called Longboat Key. Over the past decades, we've learned a lot of things about going to Florida on vacation, And so in this podcast, I'd like to share some of those lessons we've learned with you so that if you haven't gone there before, your first time will really be an enjoyable one. Okay, then rule number one, the journey is important. This, of course, applies to people who drive. For those of you who fly these days, well, good luck. Let's take a quick break here and talk geography. Two major highways, actually three, come into Florida from the north. Interstate 95 from the East Coast and Interstates 75 and 65 from the Midwest. Because of that, you will find many Midwesterners tend to populate Florida's Gulf Coast, while East Coasters tend to end up on the Atlantic side. I actually think we Midwesterners got the better deal, being able to watch the sun go down over the gulf. I call that the money shot. My advice to Midwesterners, those who drive, is never, ever go via 75 through Atlanta, if you can help it. I would drive through Manhattan in rush hour before ever going through Atlanta, believe me. There's always a problem, and if you're coming from the Midwest, you also have to navigate those steep mountain grades in Tennessee. And after so many years of driving down an ever-increasingly congested Interstate 75, the route I would now suggest is via 65, which goes through Indianapolis, Louisville, Birmingham, and Montgomery. Much smoother drive and not so bumper-to-bumper. Rule number two the journey is important just like rule number one but now I want to emphasize that building some extra time into your trip on the front end especially is always a good idea. Expanding the driving time from two to three days gives you a chance to explore out-of-the-way places on the way down. For example one year we stopped in Memphis great ribs there another year in Tallahassee And this year, we poked around a quaint little town with a history of social experimentation near Evansville, Indiana. It's called New Harmony. Younger folks may find that extra day to be a luxury within the frantic bubbles of their busy lives, but meandering can be worth it because you can stray off the beaten path and explore what's behind the main roads. We used to call these things, these side roads, Blue Highways. Because of these side trips, we have found a really authentic southern barbecue shack that has become a must-stop, both coming and going. We've located interesting fishing spots that locals frequent, state capitals worth a stop, and parks where we learn local history and watch amazing wildlife. For many years, a central Indiana town, Nashville, beckoned us with a homey menu that included sassafras tea, pepper coleslaw, to die for hush puppies, and mouth-watering chicken and ham entrees. It's simply called the country store. Rule number three, find a destination at the end of your Florida journey that's in sync with why you are going on vacation. Generally, I've discovered that there are two types of places to land at one in a congested area with hundreds of things going on, one in a laid-back, low-occupancy place. Longboat Key, where we go, is a low-density sedate location bracketed by high-traffic towns on either end. And that is connected to Rule 4, which is decide what you're going to do before you get there. If you just say, I'm going to the ocean, Well, you may end up in a neon, noisy place like St. Pete's Beach or a quiet, sedate, boring little seaside town where you're constantly pacing for something to do. As someone who spends a lot of time in traffic and in an urban environment most of the year, I do vote for quiet and laid back. If you have teenagers, well, you may be boxed into going to a place with lots of action. Orlando, anybody? Or vice versa, you may thrive where there's lots of attractions. I subscribe to the Italian concept of vacation, la dolce faniente, which translates as, sweet nothing to do. I'll take it, the simple life. One more rule here, staying put will keep you from having too much intercourse with the horrible traffic Florida is known for. Rule 5, be outside. At this point, I hearken back to my last podcast, wherein I mentioned the shocking statistic that Americans on average spend 90% of their waking hours indoors. When you get to Florida, find a small place. It will force you to be outside. Our little vacation place called Little Gull has only 14 little units. That's it. Believe me, there are nightmare vacation spots, I once visited a friend who was staying in a multi-story mid-rise with the charm of a Siberian gulag and where you have to go through security to get to the beach. No thank you. At the little place I stay in Florida, if I leave my patio door open, a white egret with an elegant stride, we call him Ernie, will mosey right into the kitchen looking for something to chew on. If I go kayaking nearby, I will almost certainly pass a manatee or two, chomping away on seagrass. At the beach, a variety of shorebirds is there to greet and entertain me with their fast and fancy footwork. As I think about Florida over the years, many things keep calling me back. Warm, sunny skies, pelicans, the taste of salt water, dolphins, fishing boats happy escapees from northern climes, little children running on the beach, the smell of suntan oil. When you were walking down the beach at my stage in life, there is very little uh, left of artifice. You are who you are. One evening at sunset as I walked on that beach, wind blowing on my face, sun at my back, a woman, an attractive woman, a bit younger, was walking the opposite way. We looked at each other for just a second and both smiled, that look of carefree connection that's impossible to to explain, the enjoyment of life. I know that many people think of Florida as the land of Disney and SeaWorld, but Florida, to those who have come down for a very long time, it's a real chance to hang out with nature, a chance to see and taste the ocean, a moment to pull back from the whirlwind lives we lead and listen to the birds and smell the hibiscus. Some years ago, I remember seeing a poster in a teacher's lounge that read, Sometimes I sits and thinks, and sometimes I just sits. Keep that in mind when the chance comes to head south. It's time to just sits. See you at the beach. You've been listening to Here Comes Yesterday, a podcast full of useful memories for dealing with the world ahead. Your ideas and reactions can also be very useful. Contact Frank Corrado via email at corrado at c4m.com. That's C-O-R-R-A-D-O at the letter C, the number 4, the letter m.com This is Mel Zellman. Thank you for listening, and catch us next time.